What, which, this, that, or the other? From Bonnaroo to Coachella, traversing the music festival landscape can be tricky. That's where we come in with high fives for everyone. The What Podcast with Brad, Barry, Lord Taco, dedicated to exploring the entire festival scene. Brad has worked in the radio industry for more than 20 years and currently lives in Brooklyn, where he is program director for three stations, including one in New York, one in Detroit, and one in Miami. Barry's been a reporter for the Chattanooga Times Free Press, covering all aspects of the entertainment industry since 1987. That's before you were born. Lord Taco, the smart guy who makes these podcasts on our website at thewhatpodcast.com work. Also really good at identifying babies, loves blue-haired moms, PBR, and his beautiful Volkswagen bus. We all fell in love with the Bonnaroo Festival years ago, not only because of the amazing bands that play there every year, but also because of the incredible community spirit that has developed around it. Radiate positivity. And we really like talking about the inside baseball stuff when it comes to putting on a huge music festival. So join us. You can hear the What Podcast on the Consequence Podcast Network or anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. Hey pod people, Engineer Adam here, jumping in for a quick second to let you know about the brand new all-in-one platform for all of you creative podcasters out there. Anchor makes it easier than ever to make a podcast. It's free to use and has all the creation tools you need to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Plus, Anchor will get your podcast set up on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are found. Even better, Anchor helps you connect with sponsors, even if you're just starting out. It's the perfect choice for podcasters, so make sure to check it out. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Back to the show. There is a podcast that is a world unto itself. A podcast as boundless as space and as timeless as infinity. It is the place between light and shadow. Science and superstition. You've entered. The Fifth Dimension. The latest series from the Consequence Podcast Network will open the door into Jordan Peele's new revival of The Twilight Zone, and it will go as far as the limits of the mind itself. Subscribe to The Fifth Dimension. Consequence Podcast Network. you beautiful people out there. I am your host, Leo Phillips, and this is another edition of This Must Be The Gig. It's your backstage pass to the world of live music, and each and every single week I try and bring you a fascinating conversation from the beating heart of the live music and performance scene, and what that really means is digging deep into the brains of people that I find uh, change the way that the landscape looks. That could really mean a festival founder and why they have chosen to curate the lineup that they have chosen to curate. Does that make sense? And a choreographer who's worked on an amazing stage show. We've got some insanely talented people coming up uh, in future episodes about this exact topic. I'm smiling, can you hear me? A comedian as well and an actor. Really anyone obsessed with performance in the way that we are. So yeah, I, I am, I'm excited about this week's uh, chat. Before we get there, uh, let's check in with our constant companion here at TMBTG Studios, Engineer Adam. Hello. Hey, hello. How are you? 
I'm very singy. Is that a thing you can say? If you're someone yeah. who is singing a lot, do you, I mean, are you singy? Yeah, sure. You you can embody the motion of feeling the light aura of singing around you. And that's the verbatim definition in Merriam-Webster, right? Yeah, we know. We know. Yeah, Miriam. and if I asked you to she repeat, <laughs> if I asked you to repeat that, you'd just do it word for word. Verbatim. Yeah, of course. Verbiage. But I'm doing pretty good. I'm keeping super busy. We're we're in the the heart of festival season, mm-hmm. as they say. But when are we not? Really, at this point? Yeah. Did you see the lineup announcement for Riot Fest? That's I that's did. the most recent one that caught my eye. Anyways, I. I'm so excited by it because we missed last year. Yes. But this year you've got Patty and B-52s. Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to say Bikini Kill. Bikini Kill, B-52s, Slayer and Descendants. It's like they just plucked it out of my brain, brain and we're like, yeah. here you go. I know. And it's such a, a magical experience. And there are so many unique festivals coming up that I'm sure everyone out there has that one festival lineup that they are so excited by. Yeah, I think that, you know, that's a very good point. I think all of our listeners should find us at TMBTG Pod on all of our social media or at Lior Phillips on all your social media and Thanks. let us know which festival lineup they're most excited for, which one is the one that really hits that spot in their brain that matches the one that hits mine. And when you're done doing that, you absolutely, <laughs> by law. And when you're done selling your soul to us, complete strangers speaking <laughs> in your ear right now. When you're done doing that, you by law have to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts, rate and review us. You have to. It's a law. You'll go to jail (laughs) if you don't. That's how it works. You'll go to our jail, which is basically into our minds, like a being John Malkovich. Oh, my God. You'll be stuck in our minds forever. And believe me. Believe you me, you do not want that. Some wacky stuff going on in there. (laughs) Each and every week, we take one of those five-star reviews, and we read them out on the show. So if you want to have your name, your words, out on these airwaves, go do it. This week, we've got someone by the wonderful name Fetzkala. (laughs) It's a strange... Maybe it's Fat Man Scoop. What's the song to that? I don't know. Fat Man, don't you know Fat Man Scoop? I don't know Fat Man Scoop, no. Wait, what? You don't know Fat Man Scoop? No, I don't. My, can you hear my clicking while I Google you? Googly it? Let's Google Fat, Fat Man, Man Scoop. Scoop. He's, a, he's a promoter. It's from that It's from that song when they go, Fat Man Scoop, dun, 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 put your hands up. I do not know this. I'm eagerly awaiting the answer as Lior types out on her laptop to try to find what this song is Wait, that I'm I've really, not heard of. Do you know this? I'm continuing to vamp while she finds this. Yeah, oh, 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 teen. This is my like when I used to club when I was like 15 <laughs> years old. Oh, oh. We can only probably play this for 10 seconds. Probably less than that, but we're making commentary <laughs> on it, which is all that matters. Exactly. <laughs> we're talking about how this is probably the person that You don't know that? that? That's review. like one of the. Mo- you don't know that song? I don't know that song. Put your hands up. Oh, I mean, it was starting to sound familiar, but. I do not know the term fat man scoop. Is everybody at home I roll well you're probably not at home. You're probably on a commute. You're also probably on the loo. But honestly, you don't know the song? Put your hands up. It sounded it's familiar. Embarrassing. It has 13,454,891 views on YouTube and the first comment was made 6 days ago and the song is old as shite. And they say 
Who's putting their hands up in 2019? It's apparently Leor Phillips. That's <laughs> I am. I, my hands are up. My face is smiling. So Fetscala, a.k.a. Fat Man Scoop, says, Lior is giving us the elusive golden backstage <laughs> pass to a whirlwind tour of musical guests. I cannot wait Ooh. to see how this series unfolds. No, that's nice. Thanks Me for too. those words. That's pretty great. Thank <laughs> I also you. Don't know. Thank you, Fet Scala. Thank you. So the, let's get into this week's interview, shall we? We have the most phenomenal guest, uh, our, we'll say our. Thank you. Regina Spector. We at TMBTG Studios have been big fans of Regina's for very many years, as far back as 2004's Soviet Kitsch. And she's really just such an idiosyncratic voice in the world of indie music, infusing classical-esque flourishes into these really beguiling pop structures. She matches grand scope with quite delicate intimacy, I think. And it's all been utilized on soundtracks as wide-ranging as the Hamilton mixtape, which we actually talk about Lin-Manuel Miranda. Hey! So you'll see that, you'll hear that. To Kubo and the Two Strings, not to mention where maybe a lot of people first heard her, which was the opening of Orange is the New Black, which maybe I think people knew her before that. I, I Definitely a lot of people did, but I'm sure that a lot of people got intro got there and then the dug deeper. Realm. Sure. Yeah. Um, there's really just something theatrical and surreal and yet deeply emotionally resonant about her songwriting and, and her voice. And now nearly two decades into a breathtaking career that spans so many different styles and sounds, she's making her debut on Broadway with a series of shows at the Lantfontaine Theatre beginning June 20th. That's right around the corner, you New York people. Mm-hmm. Get out there. So that's in... A little more than a week, yeah. Yeah, and I had to work that out with (laughs) her. I was so thrilled to chat with Regina again. We spoke a few years back, um, so reconnecting on this platform was wonderful and in this environment. And we chatted about the amazing achievement of having something on stage and recreating that stage performance. And we are so excited to share a little sneak peek into her plans for the entire five-night engagement. So you'll get to hear about that. Um, If you don't want any spoilers, boo-hoo, listen through, because we chat about her life and we chat about motherhood and we chat about many other things pertaining to current life. And it's wonderful and she's open and so just take it all in and uh, enjoy. Let us not be delayed. This is me and Regina. Bye. brain this morning or this afternoon because I went to, I went to a very beautiful and touching event but it was at an obscenely early hour oh. <laughs> like crazy early. what did you go to like we had what was the event I oh it was so beautiful it was um it was uh the New York Women's Foundation they do they do this breakfast and a friend of ours uh invited us And it was all these really amazing women being honored. And they really spanned all different kinds of, um, I mean, um, you know, it was uh, some of the honorees were like Mm. Cindy Lauper and and Abigail Disney. And they were 
uh, you know, kind of like philanthropists and artists and other people were these really amazing women. One of them was the first Asian firefighter in New York. Oh my God. A woman. Wow. Yeah, it was. Okay. And, and and she actually, I was crying through most of the speeches. I, I was just, I was just was gonna all... say, I'm sure that must have been so heartbreaking in the best way. Yeah, wow. Yeah, there were there were women that were um, just had were overcoming so many obstacles, whether it was you know sexism and racism, and there were women speaking uh, who who were escaping you know, lifelong lives of violence. And it was just, and it was so amazing because I really didn't know very much about this uh, foundation, the foundation at all. Yeah. And they, and they had been doing this work since the nineties when nobody really was talking about, you know, um, the, the sort of like the inequality of the LGBT community and all this other stuff that, we sort of have become really used to fighting for and and uh and in some ways i think it's just uh just watching so many of these things get reattacked mm. you know it's, it's yeah. very it's like instead of instead of getting better and better and better it's like There's watching just more focus you know, the, mm. yeah and just and also just the things that like you know i, I i've played concerts benefit concerts for some of these organizations like planned parenthood and other you know amazing places and you know just watching what's going on and that we're sliding back and they're trying to dismantle even even the things that have been put in place that you sort of took for granted like roe versus wade and and women's um you know reproductive rights and all these things and it's just it's just slipping and sliding mm. in lots of places. And it's, um, I don't know. I don't know how these things keep being under attack. But anyway, it's not at all what you wanted to talk about. But Oh my gosh, I'm, no, I'm, I'm, still... I'm so curious about it because I feel like that was something that I was talking to a friend of mine about the other day. Is that, is, is it because so many more people know about those issues or those issues are at the forefront that they are being attacked? Because I always find like when a minority is, is is under the spotlight sometimes the focus gets put on it and then more then obviously then more people have an opinion so it's like a numbers thing right but unfortunately now Mm. I feel so overwhelmed by it constantly because when you think you're taking a step forward or I'm saying we as uh, society um, society yeah I feel like there's just so much that comes from that. There's expectations as well on minorities then to perform. You know, there's an expectation for them to have a platform and speak where they don't really need to. They don't want to uh, be speaking about it constantly. It's like the old story of like, if you're a woman, you're going to be talking about being a woman, <laughs> you know, and, and yes. some of us just want to live. And I'm, I can expect that for people of color, people who uh, identify as non-binary, you know, there's so much pressure now as well to talk about it. And what if you just feel too overwhelmed and you just want to be normal and live your life? Um, so, yeah, so I, mean, I, that's really, really, yeah. I mean, that's a really good point. I, I, I think that in some ways, you know, 
one of the really beautiful things that I heard, actually, the woman who's, um, her name was Anna, but I can't remember her last name, who's the, the president of this foundation, the New York Women's Foundation. Um, she She said that one of the things that people forget is that um they they call um um what they practice radical generosity mm. and oh, wow. it's, and it's giving it's it's basically the idea that the the places where there are problems usually that's the places where you could seek solutions and a lot of the time instead of what people like to think which is like how are we going to solve the the problem of that that marginalized groups face or that women and minorities and people that are you know different to society uh, the majority of society face and it's like well the answer is they can tell you usually yeah, exactly. uh, some of the ways that you, those problems could be solved it's like a lot of it is not them not having the chance, you know, maybe women who are uh, suffering at the hands of of violence and sexual abuse, a lot of the times they know where they need to be supported, you know, and um, maybe being being able to be uh, financially literate and being able to support themselves financially can help them yeah like what are the tools yeah (laughs) exactly what are the tools that they need as opposed to why have they gotten to this traumatic point yeah but that's that's again such a that's a, a really preservational way to look at things as well you need to make sure that everyone that you're listening to is being heard but also you you want to give space for that that journey of theirs because sometimes people who are feeling oppressed um, or who are feeling uh, marginalized or, or squashed down, um, which I often find is like the visual in my head um, when trauma happens. Sometimes it's hard to articulate, of course, how you're feeling because you've n- you, you've never been told that it's okay to talk about it. You you don't know what the harmful effects could be from talking about it. So finding the tools to be supported from a very young age, I think, is such a good solution. Um, and I'm sure that doing yeah. things like the New York Women's Foundation and being part of that, I'm sure, is one step further because by celebrating those uh, those people who attend that uh, the, that breakfast, by celebrating them, you are also bringing awareness to all the people that uh, help them in their journey. You know, I'm sure none of them would say, yeah. "I did this all on my own. I'm here." You know, <laughs> which I think is the beauty well, that of, was of the- that the overwhelming narrative that sort of repeated through uh, no matter who it was, whether it was somebody like, you know, Abigail Disney, who is an heiress of Disney, who had, who comes from tremendous wealth, but her personal world was really difficult to navigate. And she was in, in a tremendous amount of emotional pain. And you could see that uh, she was in a lot of pain growing up and, and also then, um, you know, somebody speaking who had come from, 
from Mexico at the age of 14 and went from an abusive household where she had been sexually molested to to a abusive violent marriage to you know having cancer those those women in an optics they seem like they come from absolutely different worlds but in reality so much of um there's such giant overlap uh and and that that really a lot of um a lot of solutions to things seem to come from uh, being able to find a group of of people usually mm-hmm. other women who are able to sort of support them and one of the phrases that kept being repeated in the speeches was uh, these are the shoulders of the women that I stand on other women and for some yeah. women it was their mothers and grandmothers and for other people it was you know other victims of violence or people in this foundation and it was this really beautiful image where so it was all about not being alone and being um and the other really beautiful thing that um that uh they were mentioning is that you know a lot of the time uh, we tend to think like oh to be a philanthropist mm. you have to be a you know a millionaire mm. and you have to or you have to have some kind of a giant platform and it's true that you know i like i'm so lucky because i've been able to i don't know since the beginning of writing songs i've been able to play concerts or give songs onto or just do things for free for benefit concerts and it's something that you can just give and you can donate money and you could donate time but people really forget that so much of philanthropy it's really just giving of yourself whatever it is that you have it could be one dollar it could be support it could be uh being on the other end of a helpline when somebody needs to call and so it was just really really beautiful to see all these people come together where some of them were these you know high powered uh, yeah. sort of human rights lawyers and mm-hmm. other people were students and they didn't really have anything financial to give but they were all but knowledge is yeah way. and knowledge and action and uh, participation is such a big part of it as well and i think that uh, you know i was having this conversation with someone the other day about uh, people getting upset when you post something on twitter like about elephants um or you know just <laughs> you sharing retweeting something about a petition and the truth is is that yes are you sitting on your you know on your ass at home doing you know work and and messing around on social media sure but are you actually doing something more than the person next to you probably so anything i I definitely (laughs) believe in facilitation and and movement in that aspect i definitely believe that that even just the thought and educating people and talking about it is change and help i definitely don't think that just money you know is the is the root Otherwise, we would be doomed, you know, because there's so many yes, people who are so good, <laughs> you know, good in their hearts that they, they don't know what they can do. And you're right, even a dollar can go so far. And just also just a one on one conversation with someone to change their perspective or 
educate them. You know, I didn't know about the New York Women's Foundation. So, you know, that that's it, it's just one conversation can spark that light, I that's think. That's true. That's true actually. And I do I do think that, you know, it's interesting because I I have this sort of um not just me, really. A lot of my friends, I talk about this a lot with other musicians and artist friends of mine, because we sort of, um, we kind of have it maybe a little bit extra because we, um, we, we, we have this kind of a very complicated relationship with the internet and with, with interacting on social media, you know, because on the one hand, you know, it's a beautiful, beautiful tool where you can really connect with so many people from so far away and you don't have to physically, you know, go to every corner and you could just send your songs and your, you know, your your short stories, your poems, your art, anywhere. But in the other, on the other hand, it's also this kind of uh, hypnotic sort of, time sucking and a lot of a lot of artists you know they have to sort of manage their own time it's not like I get to wake up and go to the office and work and then come back and I feel like I got something done I have to make that art myself it's like you have to make the rails and then you have to make the train go on the rails but if you don't make the rails there's just nothing there and it's so hard because, um, you know, we're all fighting for access to our own attention. And at the same time, there's such a demand on our attention from from everything from, yes, the good causes, which are really important to spread the word about, but also just this constant stream of like information and events and we're all sensitive, right? So we're all uh, kind of uh, being thrown into this uh, almost like, you know, Princess Bride yeah. pit of despair. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> so true. Yeah. It's too, it's, so it, it's it hard to be protective, so you know. Mm-hmm. But I think self-protection, you know, is so, it's so challenging because if you do it, as you said, even as an artist, and I love what you said about you have access, you know, we have access on our attention, but as an artist, you, you can't, you almost expected not to close off because you're already putting something out there. Why wouldn't you communicate on that platform? And I, I totally respect it when artists choose to stand back from that and let a team, you know, handle their social media or, you know, just get off completely. I respect that because there is so many, there's so many dark holes that you can potentially go down. And it isn't just about it not having our attention. Like, it's about giving attention to something that is filling your brain with things that can potentially unravel. You know, it's it's, it's like the one right. step goes to the next step. And it's like this horrible thing that almost, it's like a claw. You know, it's like clawing into the <laughs> abyss. And I often find myself like... You know, like that, that funny meme where you are on Instagram and suddenly you're on like someone's random auntie's, uncle's, cousin's page and you're like, how did I, how did I get here? Like, I'm, it's like one of those mazes, you know, those horrible It's almost like you mazes. blacked out and you like woke <laughs> yeah. up and it's like a disassociative yeah. thing. Well, I used to 
to, I used to have that. I definitely, I had to do one of those things, you know, even though it's, it's hard for me, for me because sometimes, you know, I've had such beautiful experiences of meeting uh, really lovely people like through, you know, social media or even like, you know, I met Lynn Manuel mm. Miranda on Twitter. You wow. know? So like we, we, you know, we, we, we became friends and made art together because of Twitter. Mm. So in one way, it's just like, oh, that's so great. And he's not the only one. I've met wonderful friends, you know, on social media. At the same time, I've had, I, you know, for, for probably since last August, I, for the most part, haven't done a lot of it like myself. Mm. I've had to, I do it sort of yeah. like almost like, uh, the kind of like carrier pigeon file yeah. <laughs> where I will I will like take a picture of something mm. and I will write some words and I will email it to the person yeah. who will then put it up. It's like it's so backwards, but I just can't because I really would get you know sucked in mm. and into these. Uh, you know I would I would be like well I had twenty five minutes to work on something but especially you know being a mom then your time is you know so extra extra yeah. precious and and so you're like well I had you know this 25 or 30 minutes to work on something and I just spent 20 of it like looking at at you know oftentimes things of real quality so I would be you know and I yes the polar bears are starving and here I am crying for the last 10 minutes because I saw yeah. a very disturbing photograph I, I didn't I didn't plan to cry no. now for 10 minutes you yeah. know and then <laughs> I and so and it's it, so just it was a I don't know it was a combination of maybe a, a very sensitive but it also feels like yeah. that's what the beauty of it is is that there's so much control and yet none of it because it's controlled as in is, is it is it's got an algorithm there is an at to talk to somebody there is a message that you need to click on there there there's a there's code tied to to the computer and the system but then what happens to that is completely out of control what happens to your brain is completely out of control that's why sometimes even before I'm going into doing into the studio to do work or, or I know that I'm going to be writing about something really sensitive or need some sort of privacy, I can't even go near my phone because whether that's receiving a message from a family member far away or uh, forgetting to, you know, a to-do list coming up on my calendar, yes. you know, you, you, yes. you immediately like almost like we've got a harness on our backs and we like yanked, you know, like, uh, uh, don't, don't go down that route. Um, you know, you, yes. you, you've got to, you've got to cry now or you have to care. And, and it's such a, it's a, it's really hard to operate on command. And I can imagine, especially as an artist where you do have a family, you have friends around you and, and you don't want to really split your attention to the wrong things. But so what do you think your perspective on your own work has shifted over time in terms of how you view societal, I don't want to say issues, but just the things that are happening around you? Has that really affected the way that you work as well? Well, you know, I mean, that's a very good question. And I'm not sure I know the answer to. Mm. I know that I've gotten, I know that my headspace 
as far as art has gotten a lot better since I um, started, you know, not just having this sort of constant IV mm, of, mm. of information. Um, I really, a lot of the time I will, I will miss uh, important uh, things that happen. I just sort of, I mean, a lot of the time you'll still hear it from people, uh, especially world events, you know. Um, but, you know, a lot of my a lot of my art, it, it, it seems to sort of, um, it doesn't necessarily come from, from uh, how do I say this right? It's not necessarily coming from uh, an intellectual place mm-hmm. where, I, where I decide, oh, I'm going to write a song about this or I'm very interested in this and I'm going to, I, I sort of, I sort of end up, yes, a lot of the time I'll get interested in things and, and it, I almost feel like um, this might be strange, but actually maybe you and maybe some of your listeners have this similar experience where a lot of the time I feel like if you just sort of relax into uh, what you're interested in Mm -hmm. and start to pursue it, it's almost like the world starts to curate a kind of masterclass for you where all of a sudden you're you meet somebody who really who really happens to um specialize in this and then you go and you see an art exhibit about it and then you happen to come across a book that helps connect it or you start to see threads of it in a work of art that you hadn't noticed before and all of a sudden you're just very much in a cer- enveloped mm-hmm. in a certain kind of vibe and then a lot of the time then the whatever I'm gonna whatever I start to work on it kind of gets infused in that but I never really I don't really come at it from an intellectual point so I can never I can never say well this song is about this and this and this and this or I wanted to write a song about this but some people can, you know, sometimes there are many people that they can really you'd be surprised how much they can decode their own code. I can only up to a point and then I'm sort of <laughs> right there with the next person being like, I, I know this feels meaningful, but I, I don't but know I can't why yeah. decode it. <laughs> I can't seem to, can't seem to decode it. Yeah. But, but I think part of what makes art and, and creating or even just, you know, uh, writing and doing your own projects is that there's an outlet for everything. You know, there, there's something that you want to talk about. You create a place for that to go and when you start thinking about things that especially in the creative space just like you said it does manifest because your your heart is focused on the right thing and unfortunately sometimes especially right. with everything going on I can imagine for an artist maybe starting out now god I, I can't even think of it really because where do you put your focus what is priority you know I think after a few years that you've been doing this a few I say you know you've you've been doing this for a long time it's it's it's, it's <laughs> yeah. you know it's it, it's become something I'm sure for you that you've had to nurture it's true you know what you when you say I'm really fascinated by people that are creating art now, especially students that are just growing, because I'm really fascinated by the 
incubation period. Mm. I think that so much, um, I had this chance. It was actually very inspiring. It was like, it was, I was, um, invited to teach sort of during, a, a during, a, a, a an art student intensive for Juilliard, uh, oh, wow. students. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, yeah, it was, it was very, it was very interesting because I think I had more questions really than, yeah. I mean, I think I used questions as sort of a jump off point to connect with them, but really I, I, I was very interested in them navigating how to make art in this environment. I mean, they're very, they're um, a very unique breed of student because, um, you know, to be in Juilliard, they're already basically better than most professionals. Mm. They're uh, incredibly prodigious. And so, so much of it becomes, you know, translating uh, very high level skills into artistry, which is actually the hardest thing I think of all. I think maybe sometimes it's easier to find artistry for a person who has a has a talent towards artistry than maybe even it's like its own thing. You know, that's why you have um, you could listen to somebody play a three chord song mm. and be transported, and then you could listen to somebody play. Uh, the most complicated music and not be transported. And those things cannot be figured out. They have to be sort of found like grace or something. Mm. Like you have to just attain it. Like, yeah. And, and, um, but it was, it was really interesting to talk to them and to how different they all were and how different their, um, their perspectives were on, how to navigate making things in public because you know when i was in when i was in college or when i was uh sort of writing songs and going to open mics on the lower east side you know i had i would play a new song every time i went i was writing all the time and trying new things and but i don't it felt so protective Mm. because there would be there i had to definitely have bravery to, to, you know, go in front of those people and face them and play something in front of them. But it wasn't a f- situation where I felt like this is going to live on and it's going to be on the internet. I know, and forever. There in in <laughs> yeah. seven years, you know, or in 20 years. Mm. It was so, it was so of the moment. And it was, and, and there's such beautiful, um, there's such beautiful encouragement in that. Because you really can very safely kind of fall on your face and skin your knees and not have to uh, deal with it the next morning. And, and they're making art, you know, basically in public. A lot of people are learning in public. A lot of people feel the need that to almost, it's almost like a backward supply and demand. They feel like they need to create for an audience mm, that's they're already building yeah. for an audience. <laughs> you know, they, they're trying to almost, uh, almost become, I don't know how to, it's, it's a type of seeking of fame, but without even sometimes knowing why you seek it or what you should get it for. Maybe you can get it for your cool outfit. Maybe you yeah. can get it for a song. Maybe you can get it for your 
political activism, but it's like you need that light and that you see these a lot of people sort of vying for it. And it's a very um it's a very interesting thing because you can't really blame them because they are being shaped by the technology. And at the same time, a lot of these young, uh, you know, musicians, dancers, uh, they were, a lot of them had chosen mm. to not be on social media in a, any kind of a marked way. And they were saying that even though even within the school, they were maybe less famous or less known or less noticed, they were sort of betting on the long game. They were consciously choosing to um, incubate uh, and not allow for those things to influence their mind because they wanted a pure sort of idea of art or who they are to emerge. Because and and it, which is like interesting because I I remember being obsessed with that where I really didn't want to I was so I was so sure that I didn't want to get signed and I didn't mm. want to get anybody involved or any kind of input from a quote you know the music business whoever they are you know <laughs> until I knew who I was myself like I was obsessed with that I would I would say no thank you to opportunities even when I was broke because I was just so obsessed with, you know, well, if you don't, if you don't exactly know what you're, what you're doing and who you are and these people come in, they're going to tell you who you are. They're going to steer you towards who you are. And I think in some strange way, Social media is doing that to people because it it kind of corrals you whether you want it to or not. The power is strong. So if somebody plays one song on guitar and it gets very few likes and somebody and then they do exactly. a different kind of song and it yeah. gets a lot of likes, they're incentivized to start going down a direction it's like little mice that get a treat. Yeah, the <laughs> so creative, like creative direction. Yeah. And the, the mortality yeah. rate is higher. So like you putting something out, can you imagine all those open mics that you went to when you were younger? Can you imagine those were immortalized on YouTube, you know, irrespective of like oh, the God. quality? Can you imagine like the quality of video back then and, you know, what people are wearing? Yeah. And it's, it's, it's kind of, it's a, it's a very dark place to think about but it's also really wonderful to know that there are artists and students out there who are choosing to separate themselves or at least just not wanting any sort of uh, influence in their work you know because otherwise as you said if that one guitar song that they really like doesn't get many likes that dictates the role or the direction that they're going to go which is really really tough but I think I think there's yeah. definitely a healthy way, which I'm sure you've found along, you know, well. along this whole journey. <laughs> well, it sounds like know. you're very well. It sounds like you're aware of your own self, which I think is much more than what a lot of people have been able to do. But did you were you able then when you got all those offers when you were younger? How were you able to consistently keep on track, or did you like? mess up a lot <laughs> like how much of like what have you learned from all those mess ups if there were any 
in hindsight, it's very, you know, so much of, of, of life is, is really getting lucky and meeting good people along the way. So much of it is support. So it's really hard to know, you know, how much you're, you made good choices, you know, and like how much you got just very profoundly lucky and, you know, and, and some, in some ways almost like some of it, you don't even ever get to choose like, Oh, I happen to be born into a family that really valued the arts. And, you know, my parents were really cared even at their, when they had really nothing to, Mm. to try and fill my life with beauty and the appreciation of the arts and how much time they spent with me and how many sort of great works of literature they put into my past and how much they gave as far as that, you know, you can't really choose that. Um, and, and so that fills you with the strength to sort of make some other choices, to have faith in yourself in certain moments where maybe if I didn't have that, I wouldn't be able to, or I would just be, I would just be happy for the attention or I would just be, um, you know, I may not have known the difference of what a genuine person feels like versus somebody who's just sort of putting it on, Mm. you know, Mm. and it's a lot of, a lot of things like that. But it's interesting because if you just kind of keep going back to yourself, your inner self, you, you, you can't, it all makes you. Mm. it's when you kind of override your deep, profound feeling to try and fit something is when you tend to to really fuck up. Like you yeah. really get off the path yeah. when you override that because, because there are so many different ways to get there. For all I know, I could have maybe said yes to an early opportunity and instead of holding my ground and waiting till I felt it was the right time and I would have still been okay. It's just that I, I, I think that it was okay for me because I really, really profoundly like listened to sort of my inner feelings. It's funny because even now, like I'm, I'm doing these shows yes. on Broadway. I know. Oh, I yeah. Can't, so, yeah, we must, doing... we'll get, we'll get there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, but, 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 um, but so, but the reason why it just, it just hit me is because yeah. now, you know, a lot of the time when I talk to journalists or I try to sort of be as honest as I can, what happens is I, I, I'm at all times seeing seven different ways to the truth (laughs) yeah and they're all and a lot of them are paradoxical and conflicting and so as I was telling you that how great it is that I was got to make everything in this total um you know kind of underground way and discover music in the underground way well first of all I was being influenced it just wasn't by likes and things like coming from the outside but I was being influenced by people in that scene, mm. you know, I was listening to musicians and being profoundly influenced. And sometimes I would hear one song and it would click my mind to a new channel. And then I would write from that channel for the next six months. And then I would discover some other thing and I would write from that channel for, you know, and so 
But what's really amazing is that in working on these shows, I'm I'm sort of taking I, I I thought it would be really fun to kind of just look at all the songs I've ever written, which is a lot. Yeah. And and I, I I'm I'm not actually getting to because it's almost too much. I've it's too many songs. But I had um I had asked people um, and this is the beauty of the internet. I asked them to kind of write in about songs that maybe are not very known, but that the reason why I even have them is because people used to in 2001 and 2002 and 2003, they used to, before I was signed, before I was uh, touring, uh, they used to come and sometimes tape my shows. Like tape tape. Wow. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it was, it was, <laughs> with a tape recorder. Yeah. <laughs> with a tape recorder. And, and, and the interesting thing about that, that they took that kind of, uh, I'm forever grateful to them for taking, first of all, that kind of interest. And second of all, then when, you know, a technology many years later, uh, like they were doing that before the internet was really kind of what it is now. And then they they have uploaded a lot of it to YouTube, you know, and so I actually get to I actually get to remember these songs mm. and relearn them because of them, mm. because really, in reality, I, I, I have no idea how they go. It's It's actually pretty slow going. I've been practicing and I've been trying and my mind is so interesting because a lot of the time I'll just start writing a new song right. instead of wanting to <laughs> yeah, learn really. old songs. So actually, actually, I wrote I wrote a new song and I, I've just 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 finished it. Oh, wonderful! But, um, so I think I'm going to do it at the Broadway. Uh, one of the songs is going to be like a I, very like a new song no one's ever heard. So I'm excited about that. Do but, you have a name um, for the song yet? Have you named it? I, I have, yeah. It's called um, FaceTime Fairy Tale. FaceTime Fairy Tale. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. Oh, that's so good. Oh my gosh. Talk to me a little bit about the first show that you ever performed. You obviously started much earlier. You were performing, you know, recitals as as a child. But when was the time when you were performing your own songs? Do you remember that very first performance? You know. I have a few that are kind of these like early early ones. Mm-hmm. I I used to go I used to go to um it, it actually just closed and I I played at the very last moments of the open mic at Sidewalk Cafe. Oh, um wow. it was um it was the long it was the longest running open mic in New York. It, it had been going on for 35 years way before I ever got there. Um, but, uh, so I was playing at open mics, but that, that's not considered a show at all because you just pull out a number and you, you out of a hat and then you play two songs. Um, but when I was, I think I was, yeah, I must've been 19 or 20 and I played two songs at the open mic and then um, this couple approached me. Um, they were older than than me, 
by quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And they were, they had these beautiful shining faces. And um, it was this woman, Renata, and this man, Peter, and they were from Switzerland. And they, um, they were just so sweet about the, the two songs that I played. And they said, you know, we want to buy something. We want to, we want to buy a CD from you. And I, and I didn't even have my first, um, I didn't even have 1111 yet, mm-hmm. but I had had like a, I think I had like a home burned CDR of the first maybe six songs that we're going to end up on it or maybe mm-hmm. even some songs that didn't end up on it. Were on it. it was just <laughs> yeah. demos, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and I said, well, you know, I don't have anything for you to buy, but you can have this. And they were insisting and no, 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 we're going to buy it. And, you know, they were, they just insisted and they gave me money for it. And I just, you know, and I, I gave them my email and I think I still at that time had like my college email. Like it was like yeah. dot easy, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, like, okay. At you know? no, yeah. <laughs> exactly. It was all those, all those days yeah. of the, of the spammy email. Yeah. And, um, and then, you know, and then I sort of for kind of forgot about it, you know, and I was like, that was, you know, lovely. And then I don't know. A few weeks later, I get this email. I'm at I'm at the school library, which was the only place you could check email, and I get this email, and it's from Switzerland, and it's a woman who booked concerts. Oh wow! In, in this small, yeah, in this like old cinema, in Switzerland, and she said, you know. Uh, we we have your we I got to hear your record and I want to book you here for a show. Oh my gosh! And I'd never wow. I'd never played a show in New York yet. <laughs> and I was like I was like okay okay uh, I could do this. So so she said how much what is your fee? <laughs> and I was like okay uh, I don't have a fee. Yet. So so I just like started I looking I was looking up you know what's the cheapest airline ticket I could get, and I found one for $420 oh my at gosh. the time. And, and I was like, I was like, okay, well, I'll just tell them that my fee is $400 and yeah. then I'll pay the extra 20 myself <laughs> and that'll be great. So, so I wrote her and I said, you know, my fee is $400 mm-hmm. if that's okay. And then she wrote back and she said, yeah, great. So I'll be buying you your plane ticket. What oh. day can you, you know, okay. And I, I was like in such shock, you know, mm-hmm. and it was, and then, so I went, ended That's up wonderful. going to Switzerland for like two weeks because wow. she had me, it was like the, the level of hospitality these people had was like, it, it, it was unheard of for, I think most people, but especially for New York musicians where you really get treated like shit. Yeah. Really, yeah. really in those clubs. I mean, it was, it was so horrible. Like you, you were always being cheated and, you know, just really treating you like you really don't matter. And, um, and then all of a sudden I'm like in Switzerland Switzerland where they had like, they had like chocolate and cheese (laughs) and I'm staying at their house and they, they had a, you know, I, they had a party for me and Renata, who was a dancer, she like choreographed to my demos. So when I came, we did like, she could dance six <laughs> of the songs. Like it was just unbelievable. I was like, it's like Narnia. Big, yeah, <laughs> it was. It was just like then. Then they said, you know, we're 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 we are having a party in your honor, 
And we went to this place, and there was a garden, and with champagne, and there was a oh party, and there were posters of me in the town. <laughs> and I was like, "Is this is this real? Like, is anyone gonna ever believe me that this happened?" <laughs> so that's definitely a show that very much sticks out. Um, wow. And and after that, I sort of started kind of braving my way into the much less appreciative <laughs> world yeah. of New York City clubs. But so tell yeah. me, what happened at the clubs? Because obviously, the everybody's got a different story when they first start out. You know, you're not taken, not only are you not taken seriously, but you're also, as you said, you're cheated out of it. So your artistry is put completely on the side. Money is a big thing. And obviously, attendance is gigantic and your friends can't come to every show but what was your experience yes. with it in the, in the beginning well actually so the first show in in like my own show that I ever played in New York was at Sidewalk Cafe oh wow and okay. it was it was actually really sweet and but I got I still I'm not a liar. I'm a very honest person, right? <laughs> but I got it's one of the rare times in my life when I full on lied. <laughs> I, I think it's, it's the only reason why I got the show. And I and I I'm pretty amazed at myself that I, that I devised. It was it's like in my mind it was like Ocean's 11, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like I devised this deviant <laughs> sort of like con plan and it, and it worked but um basically i i knew that i knew that i'd gone there to play the open mic mm-hmm. and i really wanted to play my own show and i knew that they you know they could give you a show that was 30 minutes that's what you started with like if you got your first ever show and and so i called up i basically heard at the open mic that the regular person who books the open mic and all the shows was going away for a couple of weeks. Okay. And I thought, I'm going to call now that the new sort of rookie person is in Mm -hmm. and try to basically sneak my way into the schedule. So I called up, I was at college. I remember sitting on my bed in the dorm and just shaking, you know, like my whole body was just like, you know, you know, be cool. You're, you're gonna have to like basically you're gonna have to like lie. you know, you're gonna have to lie. So I and called up. Yeah. And smooth, smooth and lie, smooth and lie. So so I called up and I said, um, oh, I had a show booked at some time this summer, and I can't. I lost my calendar. I can't remember when it is. Oh, that's so good. Said, <laughs> they said, "What's your name?" I said, "My name." And they said, "Oh, I, I don't, I don't, I don't see I don't it. Maybe see they you. forgot to write it down." <laughs> and I said, "Yeah, maybe they forgot to write it down." Um, so, so then they said, and then I, I, it was almost like. You know how you hear about those psychics that basically take everything you say, every yes, little clue, and then, yes, and then they repeat it. So, yeah. so I was, I was sort of like that, where she was like, <laughs> she was like, well, I mean, you know, June seems really booked up, but July seems a little bit more open. I was like, oh yeah, I oh now I remember it was in it July. Was in July. <laughs> You know, and like, oh my God, you're a <laughs> devil mastermind. That's amazing. It was, it was crazy. I don't even know. I feel like, I feel like I got 
possessed, yeah, you know? No, the, it sounds like because that. Because it was so much more slick mm. than anything that I could really <laughs> do that it was almost like... I don't know. I feel like some kind of an ancient yeah. pirate. It's like inhabited my body and allowed me to have my first ever step. But basically, and then they said, they said, well, how many people can you bring? And I was like, oh, um, well, it depends on different nights. And then she proceeded to volunteer. She said, well, because, you know, we don't like to book people who bring less than, you know, 35 people. And I was like, well, usually I bring about 40, 40. people. <laughs> <laughs> she said, okay, great. So so she actually gave me a show for like a Sunday night from like 8 to 8.30 or something like that. And then I was like, I hung up the phone, I wrote it in my calendar, and I'm like, you know, I'm like freaked out. Yeah, because now it's happening. I like screamed <laughs> into my pillow. And then I was like, okay, how the fuck yeah. am I going to get 40 people to come? Like, I, I don't, you know. So yeah, forty it people. It's really... a lot. It's a lot. Did you wrangle? Yeah. It's, it's... <laughs> so so this is what I did. This was this was my big plan, and this is the amazing thing about my family and sort of my extended family, which are the friends of my parents and uh, basically all the Russian Jews of yes. the tri-state area <laughs> <laughs> were like. I was like, I basically like called every uncle and aunt and every cousin who was of age. And I was like, please, 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 you know, I'm playing my first ever show. Can you please come? It's on this Sunday. And they all showed up and the place oh was packed. Oh my God. The and person was probably was... like, yeah, of course that, that, that artist was uh, on the calendar. Like, look at her, look at her go. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was like, and the wonderful thing about, about, um, all of them is that they love to eat and drink. Mm, so the cafe yeah. was just so happy. And then as soon as I was done playing, you know, the, the person doing sound who was actually very, very, very sweet. And it was the uh, sidewalk was a place where I never got treated like crap, which was yeah. very, very wonderful. Yeah. Many other New York places were, but um, sidewalk and the living room were the two nice places. Um, and, but they came up and they said, so when do you want to play your next show? And I was so flattered. I thought it was all about my song. And then I said, oh, you know, you know, I could play in a couple of weeks again. And so they booked me again. And then, of course, as I started to go to other people's shows, I realized that nobody brings 40 people. Yeah. People play shows to like five to like people two, all yeah, the time. Exactly. And I was like, I could have, I could have, I could have just, you know, Played the piano up. with my feet for yeah. two hours, and they would have had me back because all the people came and drank and ate. But and so I had been really scared for no reason. But, but um, I love that that, that your like... family were there because I also feel like, especially like in Jewish families, I know my family. It's like you say you're doing one thing, and then everyone rocks up. Absolutely everybody, yes. because they all need to know what's yes. going on. They need to find out all the news. They want to talk to everybody about <laughs> it. And as you said, with drinking and eating and people just enjoy themselves. And I love that you had that support in the beginning, because maybe if you went yes. to play that show, you might have been a little bit derailed, you know, and think, oh, OK, maybe this isn't right. So I love that you had such good support at the time. Yeah, it really does make a such a difference and that they were all yeah you know and it's and it's still like that like you know I'll play 
like when I played Radio City or something. Uh, like, it, you know, it's like my dad is the mayor. <laughs> like, and, you know, everybody, everybody shows up and everybody supports. And, and, and the thing is, it's so genuine because they were coming out to dingy bars and they were coming out at odd hours and really late nights. And, and now they're just like rolling up to beautiful theaters and, and, it's, and it's, they're still like, I don't know. It's, it's just as genuine and it's not like, Oh, they waited till, you know, till you I, 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 yeah. Yes. Yes. It's really, it's really, it means a lot. I'm sure. So wait, was your first tour then after all of that was your first national tour opening for the strokes? Or was that, was yes. that, oh, but wow, that yes. is, I mean, I've seen them a few times and as someone who's like, I've experienced that uh, fervor that they have across the globe. And what, yes. what was it like on that tour from going, you know, you're obviously experiencing touring within your own right, but then going to open for a band like that. How did you, how did you connect to them and the crowd that they had at the time? Well, I mean, the thing is, it's like there was no touring in my own right. I was touring New York City and I was playing cafes and bars. The biggest place up till then I played was Tonic. And and it was different because it had a stage, you know what I mean? Like, but but as opposed to just piano in a corner. Yes. Um, yeah. So I really, it really was, uh, I'd never really gone anywhere except switzerland <laughs> but <laughs> that, that never beautiful magical Coast. moment of switzerland <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it's like I, i've toured internationally um no but uh, i you know it was basically you know i was and in a lot of ways still am i mean me and my husband jack like we are we're probably the biggest Strokes fans oh, wow. you could find out there. Maybe there's a couple of our own friends <laughs> that we can. We, we all we all have like, you know, our our Strokes fan fan site, or whatever, in our house. But it's uh, you know we love that band. Yeah, <laughs> we love the music so band. so much, and and so I was. Uh, just a huge, huge fan, and I didn't know them, and I, I, I sort of found out about them later than when they became really huge in New mm-hmm. York, right? Because um, I found out about them because actually through Gordon Raphael, whom I met through a man named Alan Bazzozzi, who was a drummer in um, in New York, and. He heard me playing one of these, you know, like, I don't know how to put it. Like, I, I, I would play everything. So I would play every showcase, every, mm. you know, songs in the round, every, every, everything that would have me, I would play. Um, so Alan heard me play and he said, oh, my friend Gordon would, would love your music and he could probably record you. And I said, awesome, because yeah, uh, then I was all, <laughs> yeah. And so Gordon was the one who had recorded and produced, um, is the sit and the modern age EP. So he, he was basically strokes guy. And I'd never heard of the strokes, even though they were huge already. Um, 
and so I got the record and then I fell in love with the music and I was listening to it obsessively. So after we, after we recorded Soviet kitsch sort of over a span of, you know, on and off a few days here uh, in New York, a few days in London, you know, kind of piecemealing it together. Um, I kept bugging him and being like, please, 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 can you please play my music to the strokes? Can you please, 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 please? please? Yeah. You know, like, like a puppy, you know? And he was just like, all right, all right. Like, I'll, I'll get to it. Like, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, shoo, like, shoo. Yeah. Um, and, and, uh, and, and then like one day he did, you know, and they were working at that time on Room on Fire. And, and luckily they were into it. So when it came time for them to do their big national tour for Room on Fire, um, and it was like they already had this amazing bill because it was before the Kings of Leon became really big, but they were already signed and they were on the same label. And so their tour was the Kings of Leon opening for the Strokes. Mm -hmm. And then I think they wanted to bring like first of three and they yeah. were wanted to pick somebody really indie. Well, you couldn't get couldn't get much more indie than me because <laughs> yeah. I literally had a backpack, and, and uh, <laughs> that's it. Mm. So yeah. and uh, and so so when uh, when they um, I met the guys and and when they um, they invited me to open for them, I I just remember going to the at that time. WizKid, their their uh, management had an office on the Lower East Side, and I remember walking into the office and them handing me like basically a calendar with all of the names of the cities. Oh my gosh! And all of the dates, and I and I remember thinking like, I can't afford to go on. Tour. You know what I mean? Like I didn't. Yeah, I, I can't. I, you know, I I can't. I can't. How am I going to travel? Mm. And they said, well, you know, tell us which ones you can make it to and how, you know, which ones you can get to. Mm. And then I came home to the Bronx because I was living, you know, with my parents at the time because I was so broke. I couldn't afford to pay rent. Yeah. So I was living in my old childhood bedroom and just wow. like playing all these shows. And I was like, I was basically almost in tears. And I was like, this is so sad. Like I, I just got offered my dream and. I can't really, you know, I, there's only, let, let me see what I can do and whose house can I sleep in and what can I, you know, how can I pull this together? And then my dad and my mom were just, I don't know, they'd had a conversation and they said, yeah. you know, here's, you know, here is our credit card. Oh my Someday gosh. Someday you'll pay us back. Wow. Just book, book what you need to book mm -hmm. and go on all of the shows. And so that's how I got to see America for the first time. Yeah, I mean it was my first time anywhere, really, and uh, and it was it was so special. They, they, you know, they 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 really and the guys, like the other thing that was just so so kind is they totally like they let me eat all their food. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they 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 anytime we you know they always invited me out. And they always like, it was like this unspoken thing where um, at the end of every meal, somebody would just pay for my food because yeah. they're sober and they just knew it. Wow. And it was like this very, it was a, a very sort of 
I don't know. It's a very sweet, welcoming, and kind thing that I like always think about. I'm just like, wow, they really like took me in and. And, and you um, never expect was- that, obviously. I mean, you you never expect that to happen, especially from a band who's signed and who's got this rapport and this fan base. You never expect them to, to act like that. But it feels like everyone around you always really believed in you just as much as you did. And I, I don't know if it's cause mm. and effect, but it feels like because you were so passionate, you know, you had your $400 from the Switzerland gig and, you know, your backpack <laughs> because you were obviously so passionate, people could feel that. And that that's why, weirdly, it goes back to what we were saying earlier about support. And it's hard to support mm. someone or something that doesn't believe in themselves um and it feels like you really did yeah well and also I think it I think even more than like something that I could do for myself I think it it goes towards uh, what people can do for other people Mm. because because you know I think that signed bands they can shine a light on somebody who is absolutely uh, struggling and and then you know they're they're their crew, you know, that were with them, they, they didn't have to make sure that, you know, I was getting a ride to the airport or that I was, you know, or that, I mean, their, their sound guys were teaching me about sound. I had no idea how to do sound in, in places that big. I, I didn't even understand how to translate yeah Mm, so mm. so it was you know it was it was a big learning curve and they were all you know and you know after sound checking two bands it's not like you know because because whoever plays first sound checks last so a lot of the time it was like they need to go eat food too they need to like get off the stage and but they would make sure that I could, you know, check my sound for a few minutes and get comfortable and not just kind of be just, you know, I didn't have my own crew. I didn't have a sound mm. guy. So if their sound guy didn't do it, nobody would nobody do it. Really, yeah. so, so, wow. so it was just, it was really, really, uh, I think that it goes even more towards that very, very beginning of our conversation, which is, um, you know, that people can do a lot of kindness um, and they can, you know, everybody has so much to give. And sometimes that giving isn't necessarily, um, you know, it's not money, but it could be mm. time or attention or support or believing mm. in somebody. And, you know, and then, and I think that that was the beautiful thing about that tour is that even though it was definitely hard to go, you know, first in front of like, I'll just me and a keyboard before two rock bands (laughs) and and, you know to audiences that that really were not there to hear me at all Mm. it still was it felt still had such a positive uh feeling and effect on me Mm. um even if it was like you know even even if it was challenging and I had to really learn to sort of toughen up especially with um especially with hecklers they really taught me how to Really? Um, you had hecklers? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, actually actually I think maybe on one of the first shows I think I walked off stage just barely and then I 
burst into tears oh and dashed God. to my dressing room because there are these really mean guys in the very, very front. And then, um, yeah, the guys were sort of giving me tips and telling me how, what, how they had dealt with hecklers because you don't think of the strokes having hecklers because by the time you saw them, they didn't. But, right. you know, they played plenty of shows where they did, you know, until people decided that, they were on board and what, you know, what advice so they, did they, they, did they give you? They just said like, just give it right back to them. <laughs> just don't, don't, don't let take them. shit. <laughs> don't take their shit. Like you have the mic. And so, you know, yeah. I mean, if anything, I, I had, to, I, I almost, by the end of that tour, I toughened up almost too much. I had to then unlearn some of it because my natural state was, much softer. Yes. But I was coming out and I was just like, fuck you and fuck you and fuck you. <laughs> fuck everybody. Yeah. And then you like set a fuck bottle everybody. on fire and throw it into the crowd. <laughs> Basically, yeah. As close to that as you could legally get. But, you know, I mean, and it's funny because I, I have that in me, you know. It's mm-hmm. like you can't be a New York City kid and not have that in you. Sure, sure. But I think that it took, it took, because I felt, I felt like it was, I was so, um, on the very first show, I felt like I was such a guest, you know, I felt like I was on their turf and I, and they were like really mad about those, it was these really mean kind of almost like frat boys and caps and, and they were, they were saying, they were saying, we should just get those guys thrown out. And then (laughs) their, their road manager saying, well, you can't, you know, they're huge fans of yours. And, and, you know, you just, you know, give her some, you know, teach her how to fend for herself, but you can't throw out fans. You can't drop the talking caps. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, so, so then I was like, okay, give me the tools. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to smite them. <laughs> <laughs> and you did, clearly. Did anybody after you were like, shut the fuck up? Did anybody turn around and be like, you know what? I like you and start clapping. Like how much support did you get after you gave them a little bit of hell? Oh, yeah. No, people, people, I think that when you give yourself permission mm. to fend for yourself, because sometimes people are on your side. And they're upset that somebody is being exactly. rude also. Mm, mm. But they kind of, you know, as sort of shows are an interesting dynamic because there's security and you don't want to get thrown out no. yourself because sometimes they don't care who started it or, and you don't know what kind of a person it is. So you don't really want to, no, you know, ag- kind of get into so, Yeah. But, but when a person then stands up for themselves, everybody's sort of empowered to kind of help them tip that, you know, make sure that it's like really, it's good. So, so by kind of empowering me, Mm. they, um, they were able to sort of, I was able to then stand up for myself and then the audience was able to kind of help me (laughs) after that. Because most of them were really, was really sweet and cool and it was just you know sometimes a few assholes make it feel like 
It's yeah, everybody, but it's of not. course, because they're, they're, they're so loud and their presence is so big because it's like hatred and negativity. But I, I, I've definitely been at shows where there's been hecklers next to us and the entire crowd, it's like a mob, like just jumps on them and gets them out because, you know, you don't even want to, as a fan, which you are as well, you don't even want to be around that. You don't want to have that in your experience of a live show. You know, you don't really want those hecklers. Oh, yeah nearby so I'm so glad that you learned the tools but unfortunately you had to learn it through you know experiencing it it wasn't like okay this is my preventative tips this is what I need um you know you, <laughs> yeah you, you were able no, that's, to that's, that's how you learn though that's how it's you learn it's true and then you have to go through it. I just want to talk about the Broadway show. I know we haven't really gotten to it. So I just wanted to talk about that. And obviously anyone who, you know, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people listening who are excited for that show. And obviously it's such a dream gig for artists and kind of has been for generations to have your own Broadway show. But where were you when you heard about the opportunity? What was your reaction? It's funny because every time you say Broadway show, yes, my my mind <laughs> just goes. Sure. But it's not a Broadway it's not show. A bro- yes, not a Broadway. it is on Broadway. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's on Broadway. Exactly, okay. it's a very very big distinction yes. because you know Broadway shows like Sound of Music or Mary Poppins, which I love. Actually, this theater, the Lunt Fontaine Theater that I'm playing, it's the first place. Um, that Sound of Music ever was developed and ran. So that's really beautiful. Um, But um, yeah, it's the way that I've been describing it is sort of, it's, um, I'm thinking of it as concerts on Broadway. Okay. So they're not like, they're not an absolutely like, this is your, like, this is the show that I play at Radio City. So this is the show that I play on Broadway. Though it could be because they basically said to me that it could be whatever I you wanted it to. Wow. Um, but but this but so the the really wonderful thing about it is that it's kind of a hybrid. So so it's it uh, musically it sort of spans. Um, let's see. How do I phrase it? So, so for for many for many tours now, I've had the pleasure of playing with uh, with strings, with keyboard, additional keyboards, with drums, and I'm and then for the last the last tour that I did uh, just in the U.S was um a solo tour and I hadn't really played solo like that for many for many time. many years yeah. like for a very long time and that was really fun because I sort of began this kind of kind of a little bit of the diving in and sort of rediscovering some of these older songs that kind of never got the chance to yeah to be or sort of picking picking set lists where it was really just based on this is what I feel in this moment and, and, and not thinking about really kind of what should a Broadway show look like? Yeah. Or, or even it was just, no, it was more like, you know, when you're playing with other musicians, they have to know what you're playing. So when I was playing with (laughs) my band, you know, I couldn't just start a song. Like I had, they, they, they have, 
They have sheet music. They have to, yeah, they have to be lit a certain way. Everybody kind of has to know what they're doing. Yeah. So, so in this show, it's sort of a hybrid because it's going to have, it's going to have solo piano moments, which are sort of like the solo show where I'm almost going to be, but I'm going to be playing songs that, um, many of them just haven't been played since those days of bars and cafes and sort of create that feeling again, except instead of doing it in the corner of, um, of a bar, I'm doing it on Broadway. And then, and then there's going to be other songs that are, you know, with the full lush sort of string mm. and keyboards and, and all the, you know, kind of full, full orchestration sound there's just certain things that you can do in the theater that you can't really do with a touring show yes i was gonna ask you that because it's there's something like theater's amazing for creating a sense of like wonder and awe you know like when it's really good it's magic but like it's so different to to a tour to a touring show so how what are the different things that you've been dealing with to adapt something from a touring stage to the theater stage one of the bigger things besides just repertoire and just having a really different sort of approach to even what what music i choose is um uh this particular theater has um it's it there's an entire giant wall of led so there's going to be all kinds of beautiful projection we could do so much more with basically lights and staging mm-hmm. then then usually we get to do because we sort of we get to really set up for five entire shows so yeah, instead of you don't setting up move. and then moving yes. town, yeah I, that's so interesting so you could just do like on a, on a logistics level there's just much more theater techniques than we could use like there's so many things with like scrims and fog and lights and and projections and um, uh, just um, other information other than kind of touring lights. Um, but also, um, I, I have been collaborating with this really amazing dancer. Okay. So there is a very special. There's a very special kind of. Um, I don't know how to describe it, but for a few songs, there's these very special collaborations with Ooh. tap dance and oh my with other gosh. kinds of dance. So it's it's really I'm pretty I'm I'm very giddy about it, and it's uh, it's I mean, amazing. You should be, yeah. It sounds it sounds also realizing something on paper versus actually bringing it to life and not having to break it down every day and then put it back up. Like, that sounds like such a special place to be as well in, in just in the trajectory of your career to get to a point where you can offer something as expansive as this because it sounds like, you know, going solo and then uh, having having a band around you and then dances. That just sounds like the show 
that you would also want to see. You know, it just sounds it sounds so yeah. natural. But so you mentioned Lynn Manuel Miranda earlier. Has he given you any advice about performing on a stage that has that expectation? So, you know, your crowd, of course, are not coming to think like, oh, she's got a storyline. We, we're going to have props and a set and things like that. But has he given you any advice in terms of performing? Or did you give him advice in terms of performing? Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, but I, I, it's funny. I, I, um, I probably should ask for some advice, except that I feel like it's such a, its own thing. Like, it's funny, even as I've been talking to people about it, people have been asking, well, who's directing it? Or do you have a director? And I was like, ah, uh, I am, I guess, you know, so <laughs> it's kind of, it, I think it's only kind of like, it's very much my own thing. So I'm uh, I'm sort of navigating it um, very directly with with people, but um, it is I, I don't know. It's gonna I'm I think it's gonna be something that is basically the chance for me to explore my love of theater, mm. but without sort of some of the traditional Broadway approach right. because I don't even know where to get that because I just don't come from that world but but um it's just I don't know the word that I just keep seeing is like it's just very magical you know all of the all of the things that we're building just get me so giddy I, I mean yesterday we were rehearsing in this in this uh in this dance studio and it was just me and the tap dancer and and all around us are these little rooms where people are working on Broadway shows and it was just so so fun like it made me feel like I was in in one of those movies like <laughs> fame Sent or something stay, or, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, or like a chorus line or something uh, it was it was just I'm it sure just, it was I loved it because I it, it it's um it's very much like in the tradition of yeah i make pop music but it's only so pop because it's like it just has to be so me so i think this is the thing about this these five shows is that they're going to be this my version of of what i see as you know theater songs in a theater in a theatrical way and how they flow into each other or what moments sort of transitions happen or um and how the you know, songs where a poem gets read or where absolutely yeah well how, how the songs can inform what you decide to do as well that I'm sure has been incredible the thing that we always ask in the show is what your first ever concert was because obviously we chatted about the first time that you performed but what was the first show that you ever saw live it was probably, I mean, it must have been something classical when I was little. Mm. I probably don't even remember. Maybe it was the opera or the ballet. Yeah. Probably all the way back in Moscow. Maybe something at the Bolshoi. It's hazy. That's why Because my parents used to take me to a lot of classical things when I was little. Yeah. So, but, um, yeah, I, I love that.
This Must Be The Gig is produced by Adam Kibble and we'd like to thank Billy Yost and the Kickback for our theme song, Rube, and buy their music at thekickbackband.com. Lexi Frame for the artwork, Daniel Brater and Dean Berger for the additional sound design, and the Consequence Podcast Network where you'll find a bunch of other amazing shows. listened this far why not go the extra mile and leave us a review on apple podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts your comments provide valuable feedback for us and it helps other people find us too for information on new episodes be sure to follow us on facebook twitter or instagram at tmbtgpod and generally just irritate everyone you know about the show thanks again and i miss you already Consequence Podcast Network.